You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, praise the Lord. Let's pray. We'll get started this evening. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you that as we break open the word tonight, that you'll feed us, that you'll sustain us with it. Lord, I thank you that Uh, The Holy Spirit has been sent to live and dwell on the inside of us, and He is our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to bring revelation and insight tonight into your word. And Father, I thank you that we're going to be changed because of it. We're going to be better because of it. And Father, by the time it's all said and done tonight, Lord, I thank you that we're going to end up better off, stronger, uh, with more faith, more peace, more joy. Lord, and just believing you for your highest and best in our lives, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just, uh, before we get into tonight's lesson, let me take just a moment. I want to make sure that I clearly communicate, or or clarify, rather, um, about what we talked about last week in the sense of... um, there is nothing wrong when we spent so much time when we were talking about precepts and principles uh, those are again the valid things that the word of god teaches us and when you when that is all you have in other words if you do not get specific instruction or direction from the holy spirit wisdom strategies as we talked about then yes uh, by all means do the precepts and the principles but what I, what I was endeavoring to uh, bring across was I, I don't want us to get caught up in thinking that uh, God's Word is a series of checklists and, you know, that you have to, it's like a combination lock, you have to do it exactly in line, and if you don't do it that way, it's not going to work for you, etc. What I, what I really want to do, just to summarize it, is take the precepts and principles from God's Word, then go to the Holy Spirit and, and ask Him if there is a particular, uh, if, there are, if there is wisdom that He needs to give to you regarding your specific situation, um, uh, you know, a strategy, something that you need to do in order to uh, facilitate your victory and exit out of whatever it is that you might be going through or might be experiencing. So that's what I was endeavoring to communicate. Um, I don't want to uh, take anything away from doing what we know from the Word. So, you know, if we know that we need to be speaking the Word, then by all means, speak the Word. Do those things, but at the same time, be open and attentive and allowing the Holy Spirit to give you a strategy uh, or you know some direction some specific things that you need to do in order to facilitate and to work with um, what the word of god is endeavoring to bring about you know a lot of times with healing for instance you know i'm a firm believer uh, that god has given us medical science 
And, uh, you know, I, I encourage people don't ever approach medicine by itself, approach medicine and then say uh, something to this effect that, that when I take this Tylenol or whenever I take this medicine or whatever the case might be, this is working in conjunction with the healing power of God in my body to facilitate a healing. And uh, so what you're doing is you have a specific strategy that you're working alongside with the Word of God. And uh, I hope I'm, I'm, I made that clear or I'm making it more clear. I didn't want to leave anybody with the impression of you shouldn't do the basics from the Word of God that we already know. Of course, do those things, but at the same time, leave your heart and your, your thinking open for the Spirit of God to give you specific direction and uh, wisdom concerning your situation. All right, does that make sense? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay, all right, now we're gonna get into something new tonight. Um, a few couple, few years back, right before the pandemic started, I think maybe even a little bit further than that, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me to at least once a year, take time to teach about Him, to teach about things pertaining to the Holy Spirit uh, the gifts of the Spirit, those types of things. So uh, in praying about what the direction that the Lord wanted us to go in for Bible study over the next few weeks, uh, I clearly believe that the Holy Spirit brought this uh, up out of my heart, that He wants us to uh, talk about these things. Again, some of these things may be review. It may be things that we have heard before. But I want to uh, stir our hearts in regards to the person of the Holy Spirit, the work that he endeavors to do. Um, you know, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, I'm a firm believer that you can't flow in something that you don't know. And uh, really, in praying about the things, uh, particularly in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, there, the Lord just seemed to be ministering to me that there is a wide misbelief in the church, universal, uh, that the gifts of the Spirit and the operations of the Spirit are reserved for pulpit ministry and that the average normal believer, if you will, um, are not so much, okay? And I think that that's a, a great mistake that we make and I believe what God wants, uh, wants us to see and to understand is that uh, the Holy Spirit desires to use every believer in other words, the gifts of the Spirit are not reserved for those who are in the fivefold ministry. The gifts of the Spirit are for every believer as the Holy Spirit designs and wills. Okay, so we'll talk about that when we get get to it. But let's let's break this down, get into some basic things. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. And uh you know, throughout this uh, tonight, I might make mention of some scriptures. Just write the references down, um, and, and you could check on them later. Because for the sake of time, we might we not, might need to speed some things up. But First Corinthians twelve one, Paul said this, and I'm gonna read from the New King James first. It says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant." Now, if you are looking at a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you'll see where the, the word gifts is italicized, meaning it was added by the privilege of the, the translators. And, and most of the time that works and it's fine, 
But really, in this particular verse, uh, Paul was not narrowing it down to spiritual gifts. What he was really saying is uh, that pertaining to things of the Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, the Bible in basic English says it this way, but about the things of the Spirit, my brothers, it is not right for you to be without teaching. And so what God endeavors for us to, to know and to understand is all things pertaining to the Holy Spirit, pertaining to spiritual things, and uh, he desires for us to be able to walk in that knowledge. You know, what a, what a tragedy it would be for a believer who is a spirit being, you know, we are spirits, we, we have a soul and we live in a body, but for us to navigate through life and to uh, lose or, or have our impact lessened because we did not understand spiritual things. Now, I'll say this, let me put a little disclaimer out there. I do not profess to know everything about the spirit. Uh, I'm learning every day, just like you all are, but uh, I have learned some things, and of course I can read and follow what some other people that I trust have learned, and so we're, we're going to just dive into this. So I'm with, with Paul. Uh, it's not right for us as believers to go without teaching on spiritual things, and particularly things pertaining to the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about first, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's mentioned uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you want to just make a reference to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, very second verse in the Bible, where uh, the scripture says the earth was without form and void. You know, God spoke and, and created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So this is the very first mention that we have of the Holy Spirit in the very second verse of the entire our entire Bible. In the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, and it's spelled R-U-W-A-C-H, and it literally means a wind or a breath or a blast of breath, okay? Where, for instance, if somebody was to blow on you with their breath, that's what the Hebrew word for ruach means. And uh, in John 6, verse 63, John chapter 6 and verse 63, of course, the, the New Testament is filled with references on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself said this, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit, capital S, and life. Now, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U, M-A-P-N-E-U-M-A. And it basically means the same thing as Ruach in the Hebrew, uh, a blast of breath, a strong breeze or wind. And uh, so both of those words are very, very similar. Now, just to help you, uh, you know, there is in, in medical terms, in modern medical terms, there is a disease uh, that we hear about occasionally uh, where somebody gets infection in their lungs and it's called pneumonia. Uh, well, this comes from this root word, pneuma, meaning has, having to do with the breath or air, or in this case, the lungs. So that's a modern use of that particular word. So uh, in the rawest form, the words in the Greek and the Hebrew mean the breath of God, 
or a blast of breath or the wind of God. Okay. Now, first thing that I want you to, to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. You know, I'll hear, I'll hear people say occasionally, and, and they don't mean any harm. It's just, you know, semantics. But, uh, you know, that when people are referring to their experiences with the Holy Spirit, they'll say, I received it, th you know, at such and such a time or, or I, I felt it at, you know, whatever. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is the third person in the Godhead. You have the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Now, um, one thing that just to, to help you is to understand this. Uh, and by the way, I'm getting uh, uh, alerts on my screen telling me my internet connection is unstable. So if I lose you because of the storm, just hang on. We'll try and get back together, all right? So go with me over to John, the 14th chapter, please. John, the 14th chapter. Aren't you glad we didn't have to get out and drive in this mess to have Bible study? Amen. Yeah. We could just sit in our, our warm, cozy, comfy homes and jump online and enjoy the word. John chapter 14, look at verses 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. This is Jesus speaking, of course. How do we know it's Jesus? So red. Yep, y'all are smart. All right, here we go. Verse 16. And G Jesus speaking, and I will pray the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper that he, the helper, may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here you have the second member of the Godhead in the Lord Jesus Christ talking about the Holy Spirit. And not once does he refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He refers to his him as he and him. So we clearly say see that he is a person. Now again, don't try and wrap your brain around any of the things that we're going to talk about for the next couple of seconds, okay? Because you're not going to be able to figure God out. Just trust what the Word says, all right? Here's the next thing I want you to know, and that is, and I mentioned this, that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is the third member of the Trinity. Now, you and I are triune beings, meaning we're made up of three parts, but God is a trinity, meaning he is three persons in one. And this is what I said. You're not going to be able to figure that out. Maybe we'll get a little more clarification when we get to heaven, but that's one of those things, those truths you're just going to have to take by faith and not try and wrap your brain around how three persons can be one person, how three persons with three different personalities can be one person, okay? And so just take it face value because the word says it. Now let's go over to Matthew 28, Matthew's gospel, the 28th chapter. And here we see uh, the Lord Jesus mentioning all three members of the Godhead. In verse 19, 
The Lord Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus mentions all three members of the Godhead in that one verse. Now, back up for Matthew 28, 19, and go with me to Matthew 3, please. Matthew, the third chapter. Matthew 3, and uh, verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And what we're going to see is a manifestation of all three members of the Godhead at one place at one time. Okay? So Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So in the heavens were opened to him. Now stop right here. Who's in the water just got baptized? Jesus. Jesus did. All right. And then it says, and he, Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So here you have the Lord Jesus in the water, in the flesh, just been baptized, and now the Holy Spirit is descending upon him. So now you've got two members of the Godhead there, and then look what happened. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now who do you suppose said that? God. God the Father, all right? So here you have the Lord Jesus being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending on him and appearing as of a dove. And then you have the Heavenly Father speaking out in an audible voice, uh, validating Jesus' ministry. So you have in one place at one time, all three members of the Godhead manifesting together. Okay, so and you have in the other gospels, uh, some of the other gospels, uh, uh, the same account of this same incident where you have all three members, God, the Father, God, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit manifested at one time. Okay, now here's the next thing I want you to know, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is the perfect gentleman. The Holy Spirit is the perfect gentlemen. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Holy Spirit will never, and this is true for God the Father as well, the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever force himself upon anyone. If, if you ever hear about somebody that uh, is being pushed or uh, forced spiritually, it is not God. Okay, the devil is the only one that will try and manipulate and and violate you against your will. God the Father and the Holy Spirit and of course the Lord Jesus will never do that. So the Holy Spirit will never force himself upon anyone. He must be received. His work must be received. Just like the Lord Jesus uh, must be received. Okay. Now go with me to Luke's gospel, the 11th chapter. Now I can, I can validate and prove what I just said to you by this. If God was one who forced himself on people, 
We know the scripture says that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. We know from God's word that that uh, it's God's will for every person, every human being to be born again. So, so if God forced himself on people, then why doesn't he just force himself on everybody and make everybody get saved? Well, he doesn't do that. He doesn't operate that way. He wants you and me to use our free will to choose him and to receive him. So God in, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will never override your free will, okay? Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Luke 11, 11. And the scripture says this, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And of course, the answer, those are rhetorical questions. The answer to all of them is no. A good father would not do that to their children. So Jesus went on to say, if you then being evil or not godly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those, notice the last three words, who ask him, mm-hmm. okay? So the Holy Spirit, if we want him to work in our lives, he must have an invitation. He must be asked. He must have our permission in order to work in our lives. And I think, you know, sometimes we might forget that. We, you know, as believers, we, uh, as born again people, we just kind of assume some things sometimes and we assume that the Holy Spirit is gonna bring revelation. The Holy Spirit is gonna do this or that. And he really won't unless you allow him to. And, uh, you know, God, uh, again, will not override your will. So if there's an aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that God desires to get across to you, now he'll bring people into your life to minister the word to you so you can choose him and make that decision, but he will not override your will and just automatically do things in our lives. We have to invite him, okay? Now, there are two aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit that I wanna talk about tonight. And uh, that is the work of the Holy Spirit within us and the work of the Holy Spirit upon us. Two aspects in the believer's life of the work of the Holy Spirit, his work within us and his work upon us. So let's talk about what the Holy Spirit does within us, okay? What does he do within us, all right? Now, number one is this, the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. He is the one that does the work in the new birth, okay? So when you and I receive Christ, when we make up our minds, we hear the word, hear the gospel, and we make up our minds, to surrender our hearts to Jesus and to be born again, then the Holy Spirit is the one that goes to work in us to accomplish that. So let's go over to John's Gospel, the third chapter. John's Gospel, the third chapter, and look at a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. John chapter three, verse three. And, uh, 
Well, let's start at verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's a legitimate question. I mean, you know, we, we throw that phrase around a lot. You, you got to be born again. I think, you know, a lot of, I'd say most every Christian's probably heard that phrase. But this was the first time that that phrase had ever been used that we know of in, in Jesus' ministry. It definitely didn't appear in the Old Testament uh, in this, in that, you know, be, using the two words, born again. So, so that's a legitimate question that Nicodemus asks. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So in other words, that which is born in the natural processes of childbirth is flesh. But that which is born of the Holy Spirit, notice spirit is capitalized, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one that goes to work. The moment that you receive Christ, he is the one that goes to work on the inside of you to cause you to be born again. He's the one that takes uh, the dead spirit out of you and puts a portion of himself on the inside of you. Like 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that we're a new creation in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who does that work. All right. Now, I know the Baptists, uh, you know, don't necessarily believe in the uh, Pentecostal work, which we'll talk more about that in a little bit of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, we do agree on this right here. They believe that when you get born again, you get the Holy Spirit. Well, I totally concur with that. Now, where where I have to differ with them doctrinally is when they say that's all the Holy Spirit you get, okay? And that's where I have to differ from them. But I think sometimes we Pentecostals think that we have something exclusive that nobody else in the body of Christ has, and that's just not true. Uh, when you received Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you, okay? The, and here's the second thing, and this is true for somebody who is non-Pentecostal and somebody who is Pentecostal. Number two is this, the Holy Spirit enables us to have God's help. Okay. Now we read it a while ago that Jesus prayed and he says, I will pray the father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now notice he just didn't say, and those people who uh, are Pentecostal, this is who this applies to. No, it applies to every believer. Uh, no matter what your denominational background is, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you to be your helper, okay? This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, we'll talk more about 
the, the helping ministry of the Holy Spirit later on. But let me read this uh, verse to you out of the Amplified Bible, John 14, 16. It says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. And parenthetically, it says counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, that he may remain with you forever. Okay, so again, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And when you are born again, the helper comes to live on the inside of you. Uh, John 14, verse 26 uh, says this in the first part of that verse, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Holy Spirit came to live when you got born again on the inside of you to help you. Now here's number three. This is all still the inward work of the Holy Spirit. So number three is the Holy Spirit enables us to develop Christ-like character. The Holy Spirit enables us to develop Christ-like character. We uh, will talk about this, read this verse in just a second, but you know, Galatians refers to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a result of the Holy Spirit's work on the inside of you. Okay, and I'm going to say this, and I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but, but listen to me. Don't come talking to me about how God uses you in the gifts of the Spirit when you don't have any fruit of the Spirit displayed in your Amen. life. Okay? Amen. His first and primary work on the inside of a believer is to develop Christ-like character on the inside of you, and he's going to begin to do that before he ever begins to use you in the gifts and operations of the Spirit, okay? So let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, I just encourage you. And by the way, as I said, he has to have your permission to develop that Christ-like character too. Because again, he's not going to just override you and transform you into the image of Christ. No, you have to be willing and receptive to his work in developing that character in you. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the New Living. It says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So what Paul is telling us here is that if the Holy Spirit is allowed to do his work in us, he will transform us into the image of Christ. That, that in other words, his ultimate goal is that if you look at a reflection of Jesus and a reflection of us spiritually, it ought to look the same, okay? Let me read it out of the New Living. The New Living says this, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, talking about the so that we can see the gospel, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
Okay, so one of the works that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of us is to uh, enable to transform and conform us into the image of Christ. So let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 and 23 again, as I mentioned, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and notice it's capital S, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. The, the New Living in the, those verses says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. There is no limit to how much fruit can be produced by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So again, don't come talking to me about how spiritual you are and how you function in the things of the Spirit, uh, but there is none of this fruit being displayed in your life, okay? And I, I'll say this, all right? And I think we've all probably had some experiences along this line, but you know, I've been around some Christians and they are the meanest people in the whole world, all right? Amen. Okay, so how can that be? that you know you call yourself a christian and i'm not judging their salvation but you call yourself a christian and claim to be super spiritual but you have none of this operative in your life well again the holy spirit's not going to override their will but what i will say is this as i mentioned to you before that the fruit of the spirit are designed to validate and to um, give credence if you will to the outward work of the Holy Spirit and what he's endeavoring to use you in, okay? So what I'm saying to you is these things ought to be produced first before, or at least begin to be produced first before you can go and say, hey, God, use me in the gifts of the Spirit to minister to other people, all right? Uh, you know, I just happen to believe that uh, you know, and again, we're all works in progress. We're all at different places. But I think Christians ought to be some of the kindest people, the most gentle people, um, peaceful people. And I don't mean pacifist. I just mean we're at peace. We don't get agitated. We don't get upset and anxious. Those are all fruit of the Holy Spirit that he desires to produce in our lives. All part of that inward work. Okay, here's number four. The Holy Spirit wants to be our guide. The Holy Spirit wants to be our guide. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You can Pastor, take that. Can you repeat that, please? Romans 8, 14. Thank you, sir. Sure. And you can flip that. You could say it this way. The children of God are the ones who can expect to be led by the Spirit of God, okay? So the Holy Spirit desires to be our guide. He desires to be our leader. I love what the Passion says this. 
The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Meaning you're not moved so much by your impulses, the fleshly impulses. You're, you, you know, as we grow and mature, what God desires is, is that we are, are learning how to flow with the Holy Spirit and to follow him that when he desires for something uh, to happen, we're on it. Okay. Now, let me say this to you. In learning to be uh, led by the Spirit, notice, uh, in, just think, of, think this through with me. If you are being led by someone, who is out front and who is following? The person that's leading you. The person that's leading, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and I know that sounds elementary, but that's something that we need to constantly constantly be reminding ourselves and that is this i should be following him not him following me mm -hmm. um you know i heard brother hagan say many many years ago god would always prefer you to be a little slow in following him than too quick and always getting ahead of him okay so in following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about this in the process of these lessons, but in following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he has to be in the forefront. He has to be in the front and we're following him, okay? Now here's number five, the inward work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us. I mentioned this verse earlier, but just make a note of it. John chapter 14 and verse 26. John 14 and verse 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he desires to be our teacher. Now, and I'm gonna explain this in just a second. Write this verse down also, John 16, verse 13. John 16 and verse 13 says this, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, Part of his work in us is to teach us. Now, I know some will say, uh, you know, well, then that means I don't need an earthly teacher. In other words, I don't need a pastor to teach me. Well, that's unbiblical as well, because the Holy Spirit will use a teacher, a pastor, somebody to minister to you and teach you the word of God. He's not saying that you don't need human involvement in that piece. But what the Holy Spirit will do is as he anoints someone in that position, he will use them to teach you. And if you don't have access, you know, to receive from someone like that, then he can in your time in the word and through prayer, teach you and bring revelation and insight to you. Okay. Now I want to focus on uh, what Jesus said in John 14, 26, when he said, and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Okay, now this is very important 
This is one of the reasons that we need to spend quality time in the Word of God, both reading it, studying it, listening to messages, and that type of thing. And that is because if you do not deposit anything in your heart, you give the Holy Spirit nothing to bring to your remembrance. Mm -hmm. In other words, he doesn't just magically do that. He brings to your remembrance what you deposit into your heart. What Jesus, by the word of God, has said to you in your heart, that's what the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance. So, uh, that being said, the more word you consume and feed on and, and is a part of your life, the more uh, you give the Holy Spirit to work with in bringing revelation to you. Now, I'm, let me just make a little uh, side journey here real quick. I know sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks to me in my spirit to bring to my remembrance of things that I have heard, sometimes it'll sound like uh, a minister that I've heard. You know, I, I'll hear things come up out of my spirit and it'll sound like Brother Hagen, or it might sound like Kenneth Copeland, or it might sound like a pastor that I've sat under or something like that. Um, and sometimes, he brings to my remembrance what I've said, okay? And I hear myself say it, all right? So what am I saying to you? Is that, yes, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's the Holy Spirit bringing revelation to you, but he's, with, he's bringing back up what you have heard, and it might be uh, what you have heard someone else say, okay? So you'll literally hear them say that because that's what's been stored down in your heart. All right. Now, let's go into the next phase of the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit upon us. There is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, and then there is a work of the Holy Spirit upon us. All right. Now, um, let's go. Uh, let's see. I tell you what, uh, I know a couple of you are following along with my notes. Uh, go over to page five if you're following along on the notes. And, and I want to look at some uh, verses. And then if we go back to those others, we will. All right. So Jesus told us there are two distinct works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. One is in the new birth where he works in us, which we've talked about. And the other is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when the Spirit comes upon us. Okay, again, there's a work that every believer experiences when they receive Christ, and that is the inward work of the Holy Spirit. But there's a separate and distinct experience that the Word of God makes available to us that is part of the Holy Spirit's work when He comes upon us. So go over with me to John's Gospel, and uh, I, I will say this, um, you know, our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit are no less Christians than we are. So I think sometimes, and you know, I, I, I don't, I just think we've kind of unintentionally done this, but those of us who are Pentecostal and believe in the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit and so forth, we might have a tendency to look down on those believers in the body of Christ that have not had that experience or received that experience. 
and might look upon them as less than. They are not. They are not less than. They are just as much a part of the body of Christ as we are. It's just we have made ourselves available to this secondary experience of the Holy Spirit. And uh, But again, it doesn't make us any better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, it, it actually makes us more accountable than maybe some of those, all right? John chapter 4, look at verses 13 and 14. Now, this is uh, Jesus' experience. He's talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and they had this long conversation. By the way, the Samaritan woman was a Gentile. She was not, uh, you know, a full-blooded uh, Jew as Jesus and the disciples were. So this is very unusual that Jesus would be having a conversation with this woman. Uh, the Jews did not have di uh, direct interactions with the Samaritans. They considered them less than. They, he, they looked down their noses on the Samaritans. So this conversation is going on in uh, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said this, who, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, talking about the physical water out of the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about that, and this is, of course, types and shadows. He's, he's referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he said that the Holy Spirit uh, will become in someone, in a believer, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, so that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and the life of the believer producing eternal or everlasting life on the inside of us or the life of God. Now go over with me to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John. John 7, and look at verse 37. John 7, verse 37. And let's look at what Jesus said. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now I want you to pay attention to the two references here. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the water that I will give him will be in him a well springing up into everlasting life. In John 7, he says this water will flow out of you and it will become a river, all right? Now a well is for your benefit. A river flows out of you for the benefit of others. So we see Jesus talking about these two works of the Holy Spirit. So he, he likened the work of the Holy Spirit to water in a well, which is the new birth, and water flowing like a river, 
which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The water in the well is for the believer's benefit. The river flowing out of us is for the benefit of others. Okay, so two distinct and separate things Jesus is talking about. So go over with me to Acts the first chapter, please. Acts the first chapter. And again, we're talking about the difference between the spirit within and the spirit upon. Acts chapter 1, and look at verse 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, the scripture says, and this is, of course, Luke, the physician writing, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, I want to pause right here and I want to say in John chapter 20, just a short period of time before what we read here in Acts chapter 1, the scripture says, Jesus appeared to the disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when it says that he breathed on them, it, it doesn't literally mean he blew on them. What he did was, somebody tell me, what is the requirements for one to be born again? To believe in your heart, two things. Speak with Say it again. Speak with your mouth. Well, speak what? What, what are you supposed to believe? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is Lord, yeah. He's alive, okay, number one. Yeah, and make him the Lord of your life. Okay. Oh, okay. So the disciples at this point had seen Jesus. So clearly they believed that he was alive and that he was Lord or is Lord. And so therefore at that moment they were born again. So the disciples are already born again at the point that we're looking at here in Acts chapter one. Okay. All right, now, look at verse 3. Again, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So, with them having already been born again, the Holy Spirit has already done the work of the new birth on the inside of them, okay? Then uh, verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be, you shall be, you shall be, future, baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, okay? So Jesus is telling the disciples, okay, you've already been born again, so but there is a second experience that you need. And it is very important, so he's giving them instructions, okay? So therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, notice this, upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when, they, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And you know that was when he ascended into heaven. But pay close attention to the details in Acts 1.8. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is already in them, but they need him to come on them so that they can receive the power that Jesus said they need in order to be effective witnesses for him. So there's this second experience that Jesus wants them to walk in and wants them to receive, okay? Now, so this thing, this experience that Jesus referred to in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an added dimension of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But please understand this. It is, and he is, the same Holy Spirit that came in us when we got born again. He's not twins. He doesn't have one Holy Spirit that comes in you when you get saved, and then there's another Holy Spirit you get when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit. He, it's just two different experiences or two different ministries that he does in the life of the believer. So again, there's the work of the Holy Spirit within us, and then there's the work of the Holy Spirit upon us. Now, somebody might say, well, you know, what is the difference between how God would use people in the Old Testament versus how he uses people in the New Testament? Well, the biggest difference is this. In the Old Testament, nobody was born again. Nobody was a new creation in Christ. That was not possible until Jesus was raised from the dead. However, so you did not have the inward work of the Holy Spirit going on in the Old Covenant. Now you did have where the Holy Spirit would come upon people to anoint them to do a certain task or to accomplish something that God wanted accomplished, but it was a temporary thing. In other words, um, there would be an anointing that would come upon the prophet and he would prophesy. But after he was through doing what God had told him to do, the anointing would lift. Okay. Now he was still called, but that anointing would come and go. All right. So what Jesus is telling us that in the new Testament, the, the experience that the Holy spirit brings to us is number one is the new birth, which puts us on a different dimension of those under the Old Testament in the sense of um, we are new creations in Christ and God moved in on the inside of us. You know, nobody in the Old Testament ever experienced that. And, you know, I've said this before, but it, it bears repeating. You know, I, I'm, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be so excited to see not only loved ones and, of course, the Lord and so forth and to talk to um, the, the saints, the Old Testament saints and the disciples and so forth. But the, the Old Testament saints, um, 
are going to want to know what it was like to walk in the earth and to have God living on the inside of us. They never experienced that. Now, they got born again when Jesus was raised from the dead, but they never experienced walking in the earth and being born again and having God living on the inside of us. And then as we uh, needed to be, to, to be used by God, not only did we have God on the inside of us, but the Holy Spirit would come upon us and use us to accomplish God's will, plan, and purpose. They never experienced that. It was a temporary thing as they obeyed God and did what God wanted them to. With us, we have God by the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, and then the anointing comes upon us to do what God has called us to do. All right? Now. Can I say uh, this, Pastor? I'm sorry. Say that again, Brenda. I, I just want to say this. Uh, my notes down here said the power believers receive from the Holy Spirit included courage, boldness, confidence, confidence, insight, ability, and authority that the disciples would need to carry on the mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's all part of that anointing that would come upon them. You know, even uh, in the Old Testament, when the anointing would come on someone, we have record of, you know, they would be bold. Their boldness would just go to a whole different level. Uh, you know, you don't do some of the things that those Old Testament saints did unless the, the anointing came upon them and gave them the boldness to do and to say what they did. Matter of fact, let me give you an example. You remember when Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal and offered, you know, challenged them uh, on the Mount Carmel and they built their altar uh, to Baal and they did all their sacrifices and nothing happened. And the whole time, you know, Elijah is mocking them, harassing them more or less and challenging them. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, you know, when, when Elijah prepares his sacrifices and they pour water all over it, he prays and, and, of course, as we know, fire came down, consumed the sacrifices, the altar, lapped up the water. And then the, because of the anointing that came upon Elijah, he rose up and slew 300 prophets of Baal. Mm. All right. You don't get that kind of boldness just because you love God. Amen. All right. That's on a whole different level. That comes on you because you're anointed. All right. And so we need to understand uh, the different, again, um, purposes and things that the Holy Spirit endeavors to do in and through us as believers. You know, a lot of times, um, I mean, there have been times in ministry when, uh, you know, I've sensed that boldness come on me to accomplish certain things. Uh, you know, that's not on me normally. Uh, to say and do certain things. It, you know, it's happened that way. And, uh, you know, that's just part of that anointing and that power that comes upon us. You know, as, as Jesus told them, he said, you know, this power, when it comes upon you, you'll be witnesses to me uh, or for me uh, in Judea, Jerusalem, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe, and this is one of the reasons that I believe the Holy Spirit is having us to go through this, is because, again, he is wanting to use the entire body of Christ, not just people that are called to the fivefold ministry. Because I'm telling you, there's not enough of us who are called to pulpit ministry to do the job. Mm -hmm. the, 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 there are 
millions of believers in the earth that if they will learn how to flow with the Holy Spirit, God can use them and anoint them to do, uh, I mean, just amazing things that will get the attention of the world. All right? So, praise the Lord. I'm out of time. We're going to have to stop right there. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.